Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. I've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast today. I'm kind of re-energized. I haven't recorded one of these in a while. I've been out scouting and coaches are playing, so I took a little hiatus, but uh, really excited to record this one today. We've got a bit of a different kind of guest on here. A lot of times we're joined by either college or pro coaches. You know, occasionally we get people that are off the field, uh, and that's what we're dealing with today. Not someone who's totally uh, away from the field, but just someone who's not currently coaching anywhere. We're being joined by China McCarney, who I think you're going to be really excited to hear what he's got to say. He is the vice president and CEO of Jager Sports. So I'm assuming that that most, if not all of you, have heard of Jager Bands, J-Bands, if you play baseball or coach baseball, and that is, that's Jager Sports, and this guy is the VP and CFO of the company. Um, He's been a part of Jager Sports in some capacity since 2008. He became the vice president of the company in 2014, became their CE, their CFO officially in 2019. Um, he's a pretty darn good baseball player as well. Back in his day, he played uh, at three different colleges, but was drafted out of College of the Canyons, a junior college in California, was drafted in the 29th round in 2008, uh, was drafted again in uh the next year out of Cal State Northridge in the 33rd round by the Rays. He graduated from Cal State Northridge with a degree in psychology, which is definitely something we're going to talk about at some point. Uh, never ended up playing um, affiliated minor league ball, but did play one year of independent baseball, which also might be something we get into. In addition to the work he does with Jager Sports, China is also the founder of Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression. It's something that you should definitely check out if that's ever something that you've gone through personally or if you have players that are dealing with anxiety and depression or you just want to know more about that as a coach and know how to uh, how to deal with that, uh, deal with players who are going through those things more, you can check that. Check out anxiety, uh, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression at aaadf.org. He's also the author of several books, one called Tell Your Story, which is about uh, just being proud of who you are uh, as a player and, and not being ashamed of the, you know some things that you've gone through. Also an author of a book called Off the Field. He will also be releasing um, a mental health, the, the, the mental health manual, I believe he said in June of this year. All of those are will are or will be available on Amazon. There will also be uh, information about all those books on the website. Again, it's aaadf.org. Uh, China McCarney, thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I feel like I learned something about myself in the bio there. <laughs> I hope so. I guess that means I did a, a decent amount of background, uh, or, or at least enough background on you. Uh, you know, China and I have talked several times before uh, this podcast, just trying to get to know each other, and uh, really hoping that he does some video for the website. If you have not checked out the Figured Out Baseball website in the past, I would really encourage you to do so. Uh, it's a, a platform where we've got more than 500 free videos and podcasts where we try to help uh players, coaches of players, and parents of players, really in every every subject on and off the field. Of course, we have we cover on-field subjects like hitting, pitching, uh, defense, base running. We cover off-the-field things like mental strength. We have full-weight programs that can be downloaded uh, and, and nutrition information, a lot of other stuff. There's also, there is a paid portion of the website, but a lot of stuff for free on there, a lot of really good resources, and I'm hoping that, uh, that China will be contributing to some of those with a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, China, if I can just start with 
Uh, I usually like to start with something from the bio that stands out. And for you, there are several things that I'd, I'd like to talk about. But just the amount of time you've been with Jager Sports uh, is, is pretty awesome th- that you've been there for that long with one company and have continued to move up. Could you, uh, would you mind telling everybody just to kind of start things off here? Tell us exactly how you got involved with Alan Jager uh, and how you became such an integral part of Jager Sports. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, definitely definitely unique, and I feel incredibly blessed um, to really have only worked with one company. Um, my dad saw an ad for a Jager Sports camp in 1999 when I was 12 years old. We were at a car wash, and there was like an ad taken out in the back of a paper or something, and uh, signed me up and went to my first Jager Sports camp as a 12-year-old. Um, and just fell in love with the physical part of the program. I loved the bands. I loved how that made my arm feel. And um, on the last day of that camp, Alan Alan Jager came out and uh, kind of saw me throwing and talked to my dad and I and just said that he wanted to stay in touch. And he kind of became my mentor, um, which I don't know if you can get more lucky than that to have that man as your mentor at such a young age. Um, and so he kind of followed me throughout my playing career. And once I got to about 16 or 17 years old, um, he actually had me kind of travel with them and do do the long toss demonstrations. And then once I was out of college, asked me if I wanted to come on board to the business side. And um, so, yeah, 1999 to, to 2021, that's 22 years already, which is insane. And so uh, when I first started, they had black bands only uh, with a three-part clasp. Now we have just the one-part carabiner and 28 colors of gay bands, and um, I kind of um, sort of compare it to somebody that works at a restaurant and starts washing dishes and then works their way up to, to being one of the chefs. That's kind of how I feel. My journey's gone with Jager Sports. I've done a little bit of anything and everything, and still do to this day. We have a small team, which we love um, to keep it that way, and we kind of all do a little bit of everything to keep the, the engine turning and keep those arms healthy and getting bands out there, everybody. So the arm health is a big part of what I want to talk about on this podcast. And uh, for people that maybe aren't that familiar with J-Bands or people that know what they are but have not used them before, can you just kind of talk through um, how, why, how and why J-Bands are effective in keeping people's arms healthy like what why is it uh why is it so important in in your eyes and obviously you experienced this as a player and now you're you're selling something that you used to use why is it important why is it something that people should look into if they're if they're not using them right now like how how did jager bands help to keep pitchers well pitchers and position players how does it how do they help to keep arms healthy yeah no that's a it's a great question and basically any resistance bands out there came about um, I think back in the 70s or 80s once they started using resistance bands to rehab um, the shoulder complex or arms after surgery Um, and so Alan's curiosity in the 90s was what if you take a healthy arm an arm that hasn't been cut on and you do that same resistance program um, to get the healthy arm stronger and more healthy and kind of avoid the avoidable uh, injuries, and so they just kind of started doing research and messing with the design. And um, basically, the reason bands in general, but we're talking about J bands obviously here, 
are so good is they target the throwing specific muscle groups before you throw. So any sort of static stretch or anything that you do, it's very hard to target like the rotator cuff complex, the little muscles and science above my head and the elbow. Um, it's very hard to target those without bands. Um, and the reason we love our bands, obviously, um, is the wrist cuffs. It seems like a very simple thing, but the wrist cuffs, strapping those around your wrist as opposed to holding a ball, like you've seen resistance bands with balls or handles. Anytime you grab anything, like if you just grab your, your palm right now, you make a fist, you can see your forearm tense up. You can see your veins. You can see those muscles activated. So when you wrist cuff, you put a wrist cuff and your hand's able to stay relaxed, stretching a relaxed arm. And it's focusing on the, the proper, you know, muscles, ligaments, all that stuff that we're trying to target. And so I would say that the most important feature of doing resistance bands and J-bands in particular is they are targeting the throwing specific muscle groups before you throw, which any activation, heat, blood flow, stuff like that is going to put you in a much more healthy and prepared state to perform the act of throwing. It's just like stretching your legs before you run. You would never run like a time 60 yard dash without getting your legs ready. You should never throw or do anything overhand without first prepping those uh, specific muscle groups for that act. And what you just said there, I think is something that uh, people only really started to think about, or maybe just at, at lower levels, or at least how I, how I was you know, brought up you when you were a kid. You just went, you know, went to the you show up to the field and you and you did a little static stretch, maybe a little jog, a little static stretch, and you started to throw. And it wasn't really until I got to college that I started hearing uh, that you were supposed to get warm before you throw. You know, the mentality for for at least me as a kid and, and my teammates and my coaches was that you throw to get warm, you throw to get loose, and now it's kind of the opposite. So that's something that's so important that I still think. With my my limited involvement, um, you know, in the high school baseball age range, whether it's high school ball or travel ball, there still aren't enough coaches that understand that. There are a lot of coaches that do understand that. There are a lot of coaches that travel with J bands. Uh, you know, I did as a, for my one year as a high school coach. We traveled with them. I went to scout a game yesterday, and one of the two, you know, one of the teams had them there. But the other one didn't, and and I'm guessing that the other coach just either doesn't know about it or doesn't buy into it or whatever. There's still coaches that just don't know enough about this subject and enough about, you know, getting those throwing specific muscles loose before you step on a field and and the importance of that. And it's amazing to me, China. I don't know if you've seen this over the years, but just like it seems like what people do in rehab will end up starting a trend once people look into it like whatever guys are doing for rehab if you do that as a healthy individual then you have a chance to uh to have some serious gains without ever getting hurt because i think how a lot of that starts is that guys will get hurt they'll rehab and they'll come back better than they were and then the question is obviously well why are they better now than they were after surgery it's usually the answer is because of that rehab and and the re, you know through the rehab process you're targeting muscles specific muscles that you didn't before or doing some different exercises or whatever that you hadn't before that ends up making you stronger when you come back um, and that's what obviously Jager J bands want to do is to strengthen those muscles from the beginning. Um, if I can ask you another question, this is all this is still something that I I wonder and I don't know what the right answer is exactly or if there is a specific answer maybe there isn't one from your end either. At what age? or ability level 
or development level should kids start to use J-bands? Like, you know, should we be seeing these at Little League games? Should we be seeing these at, you know, 100% of high school level games? Uh, or is it is it earlier or later or just what I mean? Do you guys have an answer to that, or is there anyone? Do, do you uh, do you have any advice for people listening to this? Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, there's definitely that question comes up a lot, and there's not like a concrete one answer. When you're nine years old, you need to start. We have junior bands, which are half the tension of the adult bands, um, and we say that for ages 12 and under. We've had kids as young as eight come to the camps and do a great job <clears throat> the issue at that age isn't so much physical it's more can they mentally stay focused on the exercise and do the exercises correctly with the proper form and everything but the earlier you start the better you get obviously like anything else the better you get with the form the more your body kind of gets acclimated to it before your body starts to develop and get get bigger and everything like that and so I wish I could give you an age, um, but if you have like a dedicated eight, nine, ten year old that wants to do it, um, they can do it. If they don't, there's no detriment to not doing it at that age. Let's just say that. But once you start getting 12, 13, 14, your body starts to develop, you know, growth plate. We hear a lot about growth plate issues and stuff like that. You should be doing arm activation before you do the act of throwing like 100%. Like you said, the thing should 100% of high school. In my opinion, absolutely, yes, and that's not because I care about selling gay bands. It's just we care about the health and whatever resistance band you use. Once you start to get to that 13, 14 age group, do something to get blood flow, heat, range of motion to the throwing-specific muscle groups before you pick up a baseball to throw because you can avoid so much of the avoidable injuries there's not as much setback, there's not as much soreness, and you can train and get better and stronger, and that's where the the strength part of our program comes from. Like, the majority of it is just from being healthy and getting to know your arm and getting to know your body, and you know where you can push, how hard you can train, which adds velocity, adds endurance, all that good stuff. A couple things there that I really want to get into, um, but I'm going to start with just with a couple other things I wanted to ask before you, before that answer, there was a really good answer, by the way, uh, the resistance level of these things, I think is, is important for people to know and to have uh, a grasp on, uh, especially if someone's using something besides J bands, which I mean, this isn't, a, this isn't a commercial for J bands, but at the same time, J bands are the most popular bands you can find out there, but there are other, resistance bands in existence um you can go to I, I imagine at least i've seen these in the past i imagine you can go to most any um sporting goods store and find some sort of resistance bands like exercise type resistance bands uh you know probably going back to those rehab days like you can go to rehab somewhere and, and get some sort of resistance bands i think it's important though for people to understand the resistance level and understand just like how intense these exercises are but so the, these arm exercises that guys are going through before they throw is it meant to be um, difficult? Is it meant to be like, this isn't like lifting weights where you, you know, you're, you should do reps until failure. Like this is just to sort of activate these muscles. Is is that correct? Or, or am I, am I off on that? Or is there a better way that you can talk about the resistance level and just, I guess, how, how difficult this should be when guys are going through these exercises uh, to make sure that the arm is properly being warm, warmed up, but not pushed too far. 
Now that's <clears throat> beyond a perfect question because when we go out to games, we see guys stretching these things out and it, it like beyond where they're supposed to be. And it, it makes us, it just scares us. Number one, it can put the band in a vulnerable position, but I just love that you asked that question because it's vital for the listener. So it should be, it's a stretching routine. It is not a workout routine. It's a preparation routine. You should feel like we advise to work up to 25 reps. I was always kind of in the sweet spot between 15 and 20. And so on your last three or four reps, you might feel a little burn. You don't want it to be where your body's struggling, you're getting tense and everything like that. It's comfortable. It's a stretching routine just like any other stretch that you do. You're in tune with your body. You know what feels right, what doesn't feel right. And so if you go into it with that mindset, this is a preparation exercise. I'm stretching my arm to go throw. Then you're not going to be 20 feet from the fence, you know, stretching the band out like crazy, holding your breath, veins popping out. Like that's not what we're looking for here. This is not a workout routine. So that's a great question. Um, as far as the tension goes, the exact answer on that, um, like we have the answer from our manufacturer, obviously. Junior bands are about five pounds of resistance at full stretch. Take that because take that for what you will. Because when I hear it, it's like, what's full stretch? Does that mean full stretch when the band's going to snap? Um, but and then adult bands are double that. They're ten pounds of resistance at full stretch. So if you're looking, um, like if you couldn't find J bands or you needed something else and you had resistance bands, you get a five pound resistance band and a ten pound resistance band they would mimic basically the junior and the adult bands. Um, and the tension is always going to be dictated by you based on your distance away from the anchor point. Um, so if you stay close, like I always recommend, when you, especially when you first get them, almost stay as close to the fence as you can with very limited tension. Try the exercises, inch your way out, um, and you'll, you'll kind of feel that sweet spot, which is the fun part of the journey, I think, in athletics for anything, not J-band or anything. It's just kind of figuring out trial and error what works for your body. And this is a really important part of using the bands because if you turn it into a workout routine where you, you maybe have some bands that are maybe – maybe a guy, like, tries – Jager bands and says like, wow, this isn't this isn't enough resistance for me. Like, I'm a I'm strong. I, I lift weights. Like, I need something that has more resistance than this. And they get some bands that have more of a resistance. You can actually hurt your impede your progress there, right? Because you'll end up you might end up tearing some muscles down before you start throwing for the day. Which, if you're on the mound, you know, 100 pitches that you're, you're tearing your arm up there, which is why you get sore the next day, which is why you need time between starts. But you, you can actually hurt your progress, right, if you don't use these things right and you um, you use them with too much resistance. Or like if a, if a young kid uses, if a 12-year-old, 11-year-old uses the um, the larger bands and has just, just too much too much going on with the shoulder during this activation process, it, it, it will be, I mean, just like anything out there, but it could it could hurt progress instead of instead of make progress. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah, and the, the, there's two things that'll happen. Is One, if there's too much tension and you can happen to keep the right form and it is activating those shoulder complexes, it's going to, like you said, it's going to tear it down, it's going to get sore, it's going to get tired, and then you're going to go throw. So you're like double negatively affecting 
the muscles and the things that you're trying to help. And the other thing that'll happen that we see a lot too is if there's too much tension on the bands, your body is designed to help you. So nature will take over. And instead of activating the shoulder complex and the muscles that we're trying to um, attack in a good way, your pecs will take over, your back, your lats will take over, your bigger muscles will take over to help you move the bands. And then we're not accomplishing anything there. Your biceps, your pecs, the bands aren't going to be enough tension to really strengthen them. And then your shoulder's not going to be activated because your bigger muscles are taking over. So you definitely want to make sure you're using the right tension. It's not a workout. And just know it's preparation, and you should be feeling it right in the... If you don't feel it when you're doing the elevated external where you're pulling away from the fence, that's the one. I just did it right now without bands, and I can feel it in my shoulder. <laughs> if you uh, if you don't feel it when you're doing that one, then you know uh, you've got to... You've got to make an adjustment and focus back on the form or whatnot. So if I were to buy Jager bands right now for myself, for my son, for my team, whatever, where would I find a program to tell, you know, to show me the various exercises that are recommended by you all um, just so I'm not, you know, sort of having to make stuff up on the fly? Where, where, if anywhere, can I find like an official program of how to use J bands? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So if you buy them from jagersports.com, it will come with a brochure with all 11 exercises, all of the, like, instructions, what to do, what not to do, how to strap in, how to do it safely, all that good stuff. If you buy it from Amazon, it's a different instruction sheet, but it's the same language, same verbiage. If you buy it from Dick Sporting Goods, there's a one sheet in the box that'll have everything. If you don't have the instructions with your J-Bands, you don't have to worry just go to jagersports.com under the J-Bands tab there's a, a web page totally free, it's a free download free, you don't even have to download it it's a web page as well, um, but it's the J-Band exercise sheet it goes through all 11 exercises what to do, what not to do, how to do it safely um, and you can download that, and so like we were discussing earlier, if you can't get a J-Band but you do have you get your hands on some sort of resistance band or TheraBand or anything like that, you can still go to jagersports.com, go to the J-Bands tab and get that free exercise sheet just so you know um, kind of what baseball or softball specific exercises to activate that complex before you throw. Awesome. Um, okay, one other thing I want to talk about before I, I, I still want to go back to that the answer you had for several questions back about, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, a lot of kids now are going through pregame, especially pitchers, are going through pregame warm-ups using plyo balls, weighted plyo balls. Um, what is the relationship, if any, between J-bands and weighted balls? Is it okay to use both? Do you recommend using one or the other? Uh, does does Jager not try to get involved much with that? Just I, I, I'm just... You know, I'm asking this question, China, just to try to give people, give listeners to this the most and best information possible. Like if someone's already gotten onto, you know, a program where, where they're, you know, a pitcher's loosening up with plyo balls and, and doing like uh, the, the sort of standard, you know, three, four, five uh, exercises that guys do pregame before they're going to start with, with weighted plyo balls. Where in that progress progression does do J-bands fit if there is any 
uh, if there should be any correlation between the two or if they're separate and should not be used together. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'll give, I'll give two answers. I'll give the company answer and I'll give my personal answer. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> the Jagger Sports Company answer. So we are partners with Driveline Baseball. We love what they do. Um, but we, like if somebody calls us about weighted balls, we do not answer um, because we don't, we don't make weighted balls. We don't teach weighted balls. So we always just send to the professionals um, to get that information. Uh, so from a Jager Sports perspective, we would say if you are going to do weighted balls, make sure you do your bands and get your arm as prepped and ready to go before you pick up the weighted ball. My personal answer, I used weighted balls when I played, but I never used them during the season. Um, they weren't as mainstream as they are now. I used them more in the off season. I had a, a professional pitching coach helping me. I never threw a weighted ball by myself. I had a professional watching me, making sure I was doing everything right because it's it's a touchy it's a touchy situation throwing something that heavy overhand, which is already an unnatural movement. Um, and then the only thing I would do during the season is the two pound ball. I would throw up against the fence maybe six to eight times right before I picked up the ball to throw in the bullpen, the baseball, because I just loved the way the baseball felt in my hand after throwing that weighted ball. The baseball felt like a ping pong ball was tiny. Um, and so my advice to anybody out there that's using them or wants to use them or find out anything about them would be go to someone that knows what they're doing. Hopefully they're certified. Um, with the weighted ball program, they've gone through driveline or the Texas baseball ranch or something like that, that has professionals kind of teaching it. And then anything you're going to do, it's just like throwing. We would never let somebody throw without doing arm circles and J bands first. So if you're going to do some sort of weighted ball program, the J bands would fit in before that you would activate your whole body, get your arm really loose and warm before you ever picked up a weighted ball to throw it. I thought it was an important question to ask. I appreciate that answer, and I know you're not a you know I know you guys don't you don't sell them. You're not you know a, the the professional there. But I just wanted to, to. I think it's important for people that are listening to this to know. Okay, if I'm going to use J bands, can I still use weighted balls? Can I still do what I was doing there, or do I need to just pick one or the other? Because obviously, again, you don't the the those fine muscles in your shoulder, especially, are so so fine that you just you want to make sure you don't overdo it. Obviously, right. Absolutely. No, it's a great question. And it is a, it's, you know, it's, it's, and we didn't talk about anything we were going to talk about on the podcast, which is the way I love to do it. And the questions that you're asking are literally the questions we get from coaches, from dads. I get the, I get all the emails that come at info at Jager Sports or help at Jager Sports. They come to me personally. And these are the questions I'm answering a lot. So it's good because these are the, this is the information that people want. Weighted balls is definitely a hot topic that comes up where there is um, some confusion out there in the uh, in the space. So it's good to, that we covered that. I got a dad brain, I guess, with three little ones at home. That's, <laughs> yeah. I think like a dad nowadays. Um, so I, I want to go back to China, something that you said um, several answers ago about getting to know your arm and your body. And that is something that I, I've heard Alan say for years. 
I don't I don't know social media or or things I've read about him or or whatever uh, or guys that I have coached with that that know Allen, but it's something I, I just I've heard for a long time and you know for me I've used the term with my players before about just you know listen to your arm get to know your arm listen to your arm and those are like those are Alan Jager things it, at least in my opinion maybe other guys have said them along the lines but to me those are things I've heard from Allen and and things I kind of carry with me now and I've seen some tremendous progress with guys who who did a good job of that but that's not something that you can you know really quantify for in a podcast like this however I would like you to talk about it if you can about exactly what you mean when you say that as a as a baseball player, pitcher or, or position player, that you need to get to know your arm and get to know your body because that's when you will really, as you've said it several times, kind of find the sweet spot with using these bands, using weighted balls, heck, even probably getting in the weight room uh, You know, during the season. I don't know that there's one specific answer of how often guys uh, need to lift during the season. I think it depends a lot on just your individual feel, and it's about getting to know your arm and your body. But let's specifically now talk about getting to know your arm and that and this phrase that that like just runs through my mind of listen to your arm from day to day. You're you're in your season as a baseball player, or you're trying to you're you're a coach and you're trying to coach a whole team, and and a whole team doesn't need everybody in the team's not going to need the same program the, the same throwing program they're not going to go the same intensity every day you're going to have two pitchers side by side who are both starters and both throw 90 pitches on a particular day and the next day they're going to feel totally different and they're going to be able to do different things so can you just talk a little bit about about this phrase listen to your arm get to know your arm uh and your body as, as well but but maybe just talk about that a little bit what exactly that means and and how that how you can tangibly take that phrase and use it on a day-to-day basis as a, as a baseball player to keep your arm in the best in, in as healthy as it can be but also to strengthen it as much as possible because I've seen two sport athletes in high school or, or just multi two or three sport athletes in high school that you know don't play baseball year-round when they are playing baseball if they do a good job of listening to their arm day-to-day on a long toss program, They'll see tremendous gains just from the from the first day they, you know, the first day they come to baseball practice after basketball or or you know when football is over officially and they want to start coming to baseball from then until the end of the season they'll see just tremendous gains right there, if they do a good job of this. Now and I'm going to turn it over to you, the expert here, um, Alan. You know, just for people listening to this, Alan specifically told me that at, that uh, that China would do a great job and, and was as qualified or more qualified than him to talk about long toss programs, arm care programs and all that. So, so China, it's in your court. Let's talk about just uh, getting to know your arm and why that's important for arm health and making progress in arm strength. Yeah. No. So my adrenaline's starting to go in a great way because now we're going to, we're going to get into the nitty gritty kind of discipline part. Um, and listen to your arm to me, I mean, I've heard that. It gives me goosebumps. I've heard that for so long and kind of developing a relationship just with that phrase. Because you hear it and it's like, okay, what do, you want me to put my ear up to my shoulder? What am I listening for? Like, what? Um, but it's really it embodies Jager's sports program as a whole, but really like anything you want out of life, you have to just get in. You have to dive in. You have to have discipline and you have to learn from the process, right? So in 
in baseball especially, and it's gotten so much better now, which is so great, but if you were having this conversation 10 years ago, there's so many more programs with cookie cutter, 10 minutes of throwing, 120 feet, whatever it is, and putting an entire roster on the same throwing program, and you're just setting yourself up for failure if that's the way you do things. You've got to allow the athlete to have individual like freedom within the constraints of a program because it's not like we roll out of camp and we say, okay, guys, go throw. We give them the structure. We talk about how to properly go out, the stretching out phase, how to properly come come in with the pull-down phase. But then within those parameters, it's complete athlete freedom. Go figure it out. Um, and so the phrase just really means listen to your arm throughout the entire journey of your playing career. What feels good for you? What puts you in the best position for success on a given day, right? When I was a starter, I had an hour and 15-minute routine. I'd go out an hour and 15 minutes before first pitch, and I knew exactly what I needed to do with my mind, body, and arm to put me in the best position to succeed. That was at age 20, right? I had to develop that from high school on and figure out what works for me. Um, And so listen to your arm just means over the course of your career, you do the work and you have intention when you throw. Don't go out half-ass and throw, excuse the language, you know, but just half committing to throws, talking to your buddy about what you did the night before, have intention with your arm, have intention with your throws, and figure out what's going on in there so that the next day you know what to do or what not to do based on the previous day. And after enough days in a row, you have enough data to where you've listened to your arm enough and you know exactly what you need to do to put yourself in a position to succeed for yourself, for your team, for your program, for your coach, and so on and so forth. And so listen to your arm is discipline, doing the work, collecting the data, and implementing that data the next day. All right, so if I'm a high school or college player, even a middle school player, how how can I and I should be long tossing. How can I implement this just on a day on day to day? You know, when how do I know when to push through things? A little bit of soreness that I can I can push through and I can still have a good long toss day today. How do I know when like okay that's enough? I'm going to shut it down today because I feel like if I keep going I'm I'm going to end up you know probably altering some mechanics and uh, and and compensating in some way and probably causing injury at some point now or or shortly after that. And if I'm a coach, how do I how do I speak to my players about this just a little more, a little more in depth, and just talking like day to day? Because on a particular day, if you have a team of 20 guys, you know you're going to have a handful of guys that are really going to air it out on a particular day. A bunch, you know, a handful of guys that that are going to you know have a decent stretch, but not really aired out to you know to full capacity, and some other guys that might only be. I, I don't know at at sixty or seventy percent of max just because of other stuff they've done. Um, I, I just want to I want to kind of bring it to you know a day to day applicable conversation. So can you just if can you talk about like you as a pitcher maybe even just what you experience day to day? How exactly you listen to your arm and how you let that um, affect or dictate how much you threw on particular days. Right. No, yeah, it's a a great question. And so the first thing, if people want to, like, do a deep dive on schedules and quantity, and we do 
have a schedule, and it's free on our website. It's an article. It's, it's a little girthy, not going to lie. But if you scroll down um, on the Jager Sports website in the media, Jager Sports in the news, there's a bunch of articles written, most of them written by Alan Jager. And he has off-season schedule, off-season throwing schedule, and in-season throwing schedule that will literally give you a map of what he's seen over the decades of a basic guideline, right? And he says so many disclaimers in there, rightfully so, that these are guidelines, do what feels best for you. But he'll literally have, like, Monday of week one, here's what you do. And then you go, 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 go. Um, So if you want to do a deep dive on that, I would highly recommend going there. Like I said, it's free um, because me going through that would be a long, long, long answer. But for myself, the example I will give for myself as a pitcher is – let's say like in college my start day was friday um so friday would actually be one of my best long toss days i'd open it up before the game stretching it out um and obviously i'm in great shape this is in season at that point so i'm in what we call like beast mode you've got the foundation built we're not talking about taking an arm from square one for four to six week build up i'm already there um so start day friday so Friday, I'm opening up with, I'm like, crazy stretching out as far as I can go out. I'm pulling down at about 70%, so I'm not fully um, pulling down because I'm saving some of that for the bullpen and then into the game. And so that's one of my best long cost days, Fridays. Saturdays, we were not required to throw. I liked to throw. And it was, like, a 100-foot throw for 15, 20 minutes. No line drives or anything. I'm just throwing – Basically, like I'm throwing an egg to my partner and trying not to break it. Just very soft throws just to flush out the arm on Saturday. And I would usually do that Saturday and Sunday. Um, Monday would be like a 60% long toss day. I'm still kind of um, in recovery mode, just kind of letting my arm recover. So I'd go out to 60% of my max distance. I'd pull down at 60%. Tuesday, beast mode day. I'm launching balls. I'm pulling down. I'm doing a great bullpen. Wednesday, probably about 160 to 210 feet flush day. Uh, Thursday, I would do a pretty good long toss, but not pull down. So I'd stretch it out to, like, max distance, but not pull down just to not create too much scar tissue or swelling in there. And then Friday, we're we're off and running again. So that's kind of an in-season look at what my schedule was based on – years of listening to my arm and knowing what would work is I'm launching twice a week, which one of those days was start day. One of those was two days before start or three days, I guess, technically with Tuesday. And then the other days I'm just feeling it out. Sometimes it's 50%, sometimes it's 70%. And if there's a high school coach listening to this, who's dealing with very amateur athletes, you know, guys, uh, you know, some guys that will play in college, a bunch of guys who won't, but, but hopefully a team that's committed to having a good season and, and, you know, doing as well as they can. Is it fair for a coach to go out and just, and kind of tell his guys from day to day, like, listen to your arm today. So, Cause these guys, high school players, they're, they're on much less of a schedule than you were obviously in college. Um, high school, you might, you might have some sort of a schedule when you're gonna. You're always gonna start on this day, but a lot of times, especially in Pennsylvania, there are games being canceled. There are weeks when you have one or two games because of weather, and there are games you're gonna have four or five games, and you're just not exactly sure when you're gonna throw next. 
uh, that's just kind of the life of, of high school baseball players a lot of times. Is it fair for a high school coach to say to his players just to listen to your arm today and do what you feel like you're capable of? And if at any point you feel like this is too much for today, then you, you need to shut it down. But if your arm feels good today, regardless of when you think you might pitch next or when you pitch last, if your arm feels good today, obviously, unless, like you said, on a, on a day, if you're, you know, you're sure you're going to start tomorrow, there, there should be some limitation, like you said, without the pull-downs. But besides that scenario, you think you're going to start a couple days from now or you just started a couple days ago but your arm feels really good today. Maybe you threw 40 pitches in relief a couple days ago or whatever. Your arm feels great. Is it fair for a high school coach just to say to his players on, in the long toss phase, listen to your arm and you know don't, don't push it beyond you know, to a point where you're having some pain and discomfort. But if, as long as your arm continues to feel good as you're stretching it out, go ahead and stretch it out as far as you're able to. And that's kind of, you know, just listen to the feedback your arm is giving you and long toss accordingly. Um, is that, is that a, just a fair generalization for a coach to you use to his players and to encourage them to really to push themselves? but also just to feel when their arm is telling them, all right, this is enough for today. You know, Is that a fair way to, to say it, China, just, for again, for a high school coach talking to just a general high school team that, that has got a, a varying degree of, of athletes and abilities on one field together? Yeah, no, and it's, it's such a, a crucial point because I would actually say, like, for high school coaches that are listening, um, we would encourage, I would encourage a high school coach almost to dictate a little more power because you're dealing with developing athletes and they might not know what's best. So, like, if a high school coach educates himself, um, is listening to this, takes a look at the article and kind of sees what the schedule looks like, sees what the progression, and obviously most high school coaches played, so you know kind of what worked for you when you played and whatnot. That's where the guidance comes in with the players and you kind of, you go on the journey together. So if you see a guy's not pushing himself really, you can explain to him why it's better to kind of progress a little faster, go out a little farther. And the approach I like to use with anything that I teach, Jeff and I have talked about this, is the what, why, how approach, right? So if you get with your players when you're first starting your, like, your year program, right? So if we're in the fall, you explain the what. What throwing program are you doing, right? It's a Jager Sports or it's a long top throwing progression. Here's kind of how it looks. Here's a map of it. Four to six weeks, building a foundation. After we get there, we do this, blah, blah, blah. So that's the what. The why, why will this help my player, right? Why will this help our program? You explain to them exactly why you're doing it. We're going to have healthy arms. We're going to be beasts on defense. We're going to have nine guys on the field at all times that can throw missiles all over the diamond. Nobody's going to want to run on us. We're going to feel good. We're going to recover better. That's the why, right? That, that accomplishes the buy-in. And then how do we do this, right? How are we going to do this? Here's what we're going to do on a daily basis. We're going to do arm circles as a team. We're going to do J-bands as a team. So we know all of our arms are prepped for the act of throwing. Before we warm up, we long toss together. We do our infield, outfield, whatever it is. Here's how we're going to implement it. And so if you cover the what, why, how, and it's very clear to the players what it is, why we're doing it, and how it's gonna, how we're gonna implement it. There'll be more buy-in, and there'll be an easier communication between coach-player on a day where it's like, hey, like remember why we're doing this? It doesn't look like you're pushing, or hey, your mechanics are getting 
really wonky right now at your max distance. I think you're a little too far. I think you need to bring it back in so you can be comfortable with your mechanics and still get it to travel the distance because um, your head's flying off or whatnot. But if you establish that relationship with the program and there's intention, it's like anything else you teach your players, there's going to be more buy-in and they're going to feel like you're doing it together where it's not that dictator type thing where it's like you have to do this, you have to do that. It's like, let's see what's in these arms and let's become beasts together. Um, that's going to help implement this culture and implement the program to the best of its ability for sure. So I'm going to ask you a why question now. Why do, why does the combination of J-bands and long toss, why is that going to work for most guys? You know, maybe maybe someone who's never tried it before and is a little hesitant or a coach who's maybe been around for 30 years and, they, and his players have been, you know, from when, from the time when he was a kid and he played until now, like it was always just you, you just go and throw and, and warm up. And, and maybe he really hasn't had a lot of guys that have had arm issues, so he's a little bit like if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing. But just kind of answer this question for me. Why do, does the combination of J-bands plus long toss, why is that going to work for an individual, for, for a team, uh, whatever it may be? Why why is this a good plan going forward? Why is this going to work with guys? Yeah, no, it's that's a great question and a unique question. I don't think I've ever answered directly, so I love those. I love those types of questions. The why behind the J-bands is just science. Um, medical people much smarter than myself, um, have just done the work and done the controlled experiments and all that stuff with resistance bands and the activation of the shoulder complex, rotator cuff, and the throwing specific muscle groups. So you have two groups in these experiments, one doesn't do bands and they go throw, one does do bands and they go throw, the group with the bands with all those crazy machines hooked up to them and those electromagnetic things that, again, it's over over my head, but that arm is much more healthy and much more prepared. There's less scar tissue, less swelling um, when you do bands before you throw. So that's the why behind the band. It's just science. It's a fact. It's been proven by studies. The long toss is still a topic that people will debate. And you can see it on Twitter, and Alan's dealt with it for years, um, because a lot of people like linear throwing repeatable mechanics. And our counter to that is when you're going out and you're throwing long toss and you're progressing and you're stretching out and you're throwing the ball with arc and different angles, you're opening up the shoulder. This is about physical, right? This isn't about mechanical or repeating at this point. The stretching out part of the long toss progression is just about opening up the arm, getting the arm stronger. When you throw the ball with arc and you throw at these different distances, your shoulder is operating and performing at a bunch of different angles as opposed to if you just throw linear 120 feet over and over and over it's performing at one angle it's not opening up it's not evolving it's not you're not fully opening up your shoulder complex to where it's going to bring out the maximum potential velocity in there it's just it's just science really too or physics if you're opening up the shoulder with dark all the way out the pull down phase when you come back in so let's say we go out today Jeff and I long toss the 330 feet, and then we come back in, and every throw on our pull-down phase is 330 feet mentality. That's what we tell our guys. And when they get it, you can see it, and it's magical. Every throw for the rest of the day is 330 feet. The only difference is extension, focal point, and release point to continue to hit your partner or hit your target. 
And so if I come back into 60 feet, six inches, after I just open up my arm to 330 feet, and I compress that 330-foot throw into 60 feet, six inches, I am guaranteeing my maximum velocity on that day, period. Because I've opened it up the max distance I can go, and then if I can mentally commit, which it's a mental commitment, that you'll see with the guys that they have to make an adjustment. Because if you <laughs> if you haven't done it, we've seen it at camps, and there's no we actually prefer guys to make mistakes when it first occurs. Is they'll come back into about 100 feet, and we'll tell them, hey, this is still a 300 foot throw, and they'll launch it over their partner because they're used to aiming. And they're used to making sure they hit the target. And so it's a mental adjustment to really get them to focus on their max distance, um, their max distance throw mentally. But um, long-winded answer, the why, J-bands is science. The why behind the long toss is you're exposing the shoulder complex to so many different angles, opening it up. It's physically healthier for you. You get to know your arm better, and you just it gets much more feel um, throughout an entire year of doing the program. All right, I'm going to keep challenging you here a little bit. Um, I love at, it. At, one, at one of my stops, one of my stops as a college coach, I recruited a player from a junior college to a four-year school who came in, and he really did not like to throw between starts. Uh, he would start. He would he would be you know pretty sore as most guys are, and and basically he would not. Uh, throw much between starts, and this was very atypical. Um, you know, everybody else in the, on our team at this time, uh, we had a great pitching coach at this particular stop, and 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 most of the guys did exactly what you're talking about between starts. You know, in college, you've got seven days. Uh, as a pro, you have five days from start to start, and and most guys kind of had a, a similar program to what you mentioned, where they were doing a lot of throwing between. Uh, you know, it's. And, and a lot of long tossing between, whereas this player didn't like to throw like hardly at all. And his mental approach to this was that, you know, he was sore. He wanted to give himself as much time to rest and recover as possible. And I can sympathize with that in a way. You know, if uh, if you're someone that likes to lift, maybe you haven't lifted in a long time or haven't lifted uh, really hard for a while, and then one day you just have a, you have a really hard lift, and and your legs just you you it feels like your legs each weigh a hundred pounds and you, you know it's hard to like bend down to tie your shoes for a couple of days in a row and you're like man I, I lifted too hard I'm gonna take some time off before I really get back in there again I'm gonna let myself recover and let the soreness get out um, at least that's how I I've approached that in the past when I've had that kind of day where I just I lifted too much and got too sore um, as you know I'm not gonna go like two days later and try to push it because I'm still dealing with soreness I, I mean I can feel where he's coming from in a, uh, in a way but I also knew based on other guys other pitchers and and just uh, what I know about baseball I just knew that that wasn't gonna work. But I wasn't the pitching coach, and I wasn't the one having conversations with him. And, and ultimately, um, throughout the course of this season, he he just he didn't buy into throwing a lot, throwing between starts, stretching it out, long tossing. Um, he really just wanted to rest between starts, and that's kind of what he wanted to do. If you had this player in front of you, China, and you were having this conversation with him, what would you say to him? How How would you try to convince him that, this for ultimately for his long-term health and his and and what he's going to be able to do this season he really needs to 
to try this and buy into it because obviously in his position again he's thinking well if I go throw I'm not going to do something different because if I go throw and now I'm sore for my next start it's not going to go well I might get hurt I might lose my spot in the rotation so you can see where he's hesitant to change things because he's trying to perform in season right so what kind of a conversation would you have with this player yeah it's so such a fun question really the 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 issue um for me would be the in-season part because once we get in season like we'll have dads and parents come to us about you know they want to do our orientation during the season and we don't do that it's we don't make changes during a season um because you're not dictating basically everything like he's got a start coming up Right, so if we try to make changes and it does go bad, or he does get a different soreness, it is going to affect his start. It is, it's going to put him in a bad spot. So during the season, the conversation would be just what is best for you, what's the thought process behind it, and then if he's fully bought in and that's the way he feels, I would have to accept that as a coach and let it go. The conversation I would have with them would be after the season, or. First, like for me, if I didn't know him, my first questions would be all about his preparation and what did he do in the offseason because if he's that sore between starts to where he feels like it's better for him to not throw, there was an issue with his preparation and an issue with his throwing program building up because if you build the base right and you get everything in place before you start throwing pen, before you start doing any incline throwing um, with max effort, you're going you're gonna to be sore. I mean, that's just... It's an unnatural movement. You still get sore, but day two, day three, you start to feel great. You want to throw. You want to work on things. And so my conversation with him in season would be finding out why the conviction is so strong with him. And if it all makes sense to me and that's the way he feels, I have to let him do what he's got to do in season, especially if he's performing. Um, and then it would be all about we're going to change things this off season because you're not going to do this next year. You're not going to, you know, not in a – disciplinary way just for a fun and health wise for him we're going to build this thing right in the off season and you're going to you're going to feel much different next season and you're going to get stronger and better throughout the season um and instead of holding on for dear life just to try to get through because that's another thing we see with the long toss and the progression is guys will build endurance throughout the season as opposed to getting you know into those dog days and getting tired where they're just holding on for dear life to get to the end of the season. And, and without, you know, I was the, at this stop, I was the recruiting coordinator. Um, you know, I missed a, a good bit of time. I missed a good a good number of days in the fall recruiting, and same thing in the spring. I don't remember it being a, an issue in the fall. Maybe it was, and again, it was a number of years ago. I didn't really become aware of it really until the spring. But in the fall, in college, is a little bit different because in, in the fall in college, you're not really stretching out as much. I I don't think guys throw more than two or three innings in an outing in the fall because you have limited days because you're trying to get a lot of guys to throw because guys had just thrown in summer and, and just a lot of different factors. Um, they don't stretch out quite as much as they do in the spring. And I don't know if that had something to do with it didn't really come fully come to light until the spring or, or whatever. But I just that was that's someone that just will stand out to me forever because um, and I don't know if this is because of the way that he prepared or what, but he just he is a player that never. He never had the success I thought he should. Um, 
In fact, when he got to us, he wasn't he, he threw harder in junior college than he did for us and just is a guy that like I thought was going to take another step forward but instead took a step backwards and, and just didn't have a great rest of uh, end of his career with us. So just, uh, again, a question I thought I would ask in case you never know when someone out there is dealing with something similar to what you've dealt with in the past. Um, right, absolutely. So I, I want to switch gears, China, for the rest of this podcast. I know we don't have a lot of time left. I've, I've kept you for quite a while already. But I would like to talk with you about uh, – the foundation that you have, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression, and again, that website is aaadf.org, and just talk to you briefly about why you started it um, and what it is, you know, who you who you help and, and what kind of players uh, should reach out to you, players that are in certain situations or, or just need help with this or that. I just kind of want to get to know a little bit about that, and for anyone that's listening to this, want them to, to get to know a little bit more about what you're doing in addition to what you do with Jagger. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I started the foundation in 2016. Um, what originally I had done is I did a social media movement um, for the month of November, and I just shared my own personal mental health, mental health story. Um, and the response to that on social media, again, this is five years ago, mental health has become more and more mainstream, which is awesome. But five years ago, it wasn't such, and I had kept it hidden from everybody forever. And the response to that was so incredible that I knew I had to do something more than just the social media movement. And so got a 501c3 lawyer and people that are smarter than me to help me found it. But the reason I started it, um, I had my first panic attack in 2009, which was my junior season in college, the big draft year. Um, a lot was going on. And um, I thought I was having a heart attack. I was driving. Um I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what a panic attack was at that point. And then went to the doctor to find out, you know, how bad of a heart attack I had had or something. And they were like, no, 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 this was a panic attack. And I was like, wait, that terrible experience I just had was because of my mind. And so it just sent me into a little bit of a funk. And so from 2009 to 2015, I just struggled in silence. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't want to be, you know, perceived as weak. I thought I was the only one dealing with this stuff, and um, it got very dark, depression, um, just feeling very alone. And then in 2015, I had ordered a burger at The Habit, yum, um, and I couldn't go in to get my food because I was having such a bad panic attack. All I had to do was go in and grab my food. I couldn't do it. Um, and so that was kind of my rock bottom in that parking lot. I was just sitting there alone crying and just like, I need help. And so I got therapy in 2015, and that kind of started the healing and started where I just realized that there were so many people struggling, and I wasn't alone in this journey, and um, I wanted to do something in my arena, which my arena is athletics, real world, normal people, and let people know that you can have a mental health uh, issue going on and still be living a great life, And you know, which most people are. Most people that are dealing with mental health issues are still living great lives and it's just something that you got to deal with and so I just wanted to create something that gave people permission to be all of who they were um, and be proud of it and to realize it's okay to not be okay sometimes and that's what it's about it's about getting that message out there and then our resources are our biggest resource with the funds that we raise is we provide free therapy to anybody that's struggling it doesn't have to be an athlete if you're struggling you can reach out to the website we get you connected with therapists and pay for those sessions for you because I know sometimes 
therapy can be expensive, and then through health insurance, it can be a lot of red tape you got to get through just to get your first step of help, and we don't want that at all. Um, and so it's been it's been an amazing journey. It's kind of my my competition that I have now since I'm retired, and my body doesn't doesn't listen to me when I say go anymore. My knees hurt, my elbows hurt, so my competition is just trying to make advancements in the mental health space, get as many people help as possible, and uh, do it in a fun, normal, real-world way where there's no judgment and it's just normal people dealing with what people deal with. So that's uh, kind of the little two-minute spiel there. All that is really, really cool. So what level of athletes do you all help? I mean, who can reach out? Who can reach out to you? Do you do you help primarily professional athletes, um, or or at or at lower levels? Just kind of curious. In what sports? Like who? If any, depending on who's listening to this, you know who is sort of eligible to reach out for help. Yeah. So anybody, anybody listening, um, primarily because of the name and because of my connection, it has been athletes, and it's been most. I'd say the most common um, person that reach out is high school athletes. Um, high schools always been difficult but it's even more difficult now with social media and judgment and different things and so there's a lot um especially with the pandemic man and the virtual schooling and just a lot of things but we've helped you know 60 year old in germany we've helped a 13 year old over here and it, there's there's no um there's no requirements really to get help if you need help you just reach out and we'll find um the resource that works best for you you know it's not always free therapy one of my, I mean, I don't even know, greatest accomplishments, I guess, one of the coolest things that gives me goosebumps is one of the teenagers that reached out last year. He's a really high-level basketball player in North Carolina, and he had already gotten therapy. He just wanted more real-world help, and so through some discussions him and I had, he actually founded his own um, 501c3 uh, suicide awareness mental health foundation in north carolina it just it got approved and so we facilitated that we paid for his fees and everything and so there's no cookie cutter resource if you need help let's just talk like normal people and figure out what what the help um is gonna is gonna look like for you but that was really cool and um he's helping people with his story now too so there's no there's no one way to do it it's just if you're if you're struggling i know i struggled for six years by myself um, just know that there are people struggling as well. You're not alone. And if you need help, it's just an email. You can, you know, there's no judgment. There's no bias. You just email and it's going to be a friendly email back. Just like, Hey, let's do this. Let's, let's compete. Let's get help. Let's get some resources and make the world a little better. How'd you get to a point, China, where you were ready to tell people about your struggles? Because that, 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 you know, must have been a huge step for you. Uh, and I know that you and I have talked, you know, before in our, in our personal conversations that, uh, that, you know, that I, I've gone through some things myself and I'm sure a lot of people listening have one of the things that you've done that I haven't is, is tell a lot of people about it. I, I don't, uh, I have said it on the, I've said, you know, kind of brief bits and pieces on this podcast before. I don't really talk with individuals much about just my personal struggles so just because it kind of, like you said, it's just, uh, it's a little bit taboo. I don't want people to judge me. I don't want people to, I don't want people that don't know me 
you know, to, to think things about me that I don't want them to think about me, I guess is a, is a weird way to say it. But how did you get to a point in your own journey where you were ready to just tell people what you had personally gone through? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And I'm just kind of visualizing the way the journey went is therapy. I went to therapy and I didn't tell anybody I was going to therapy. Um, my dad knew my dad's my best friend and he had gotten therapist, you know, recommended for me, but I just, I was like, I don't need, I don't want blah, blah, blah. And so when I started going to therapy and my therapist started telling me statistics or, you know, just different things about how prevalent it was, um, and that it's okay. She gave me permission. That's the word I always use. She gave me permission to just accept this. And so I started telling my close friends, um, and some of them, aren't in my life anymore because of my anxiety. Like they couldn't deal with it or they thought it was weird. They thought it was an excuse. And so that's been a journey over the last five or six years of just eliminating people from my life that won't be human about this issue, which that's a very difficult thing. But 95% of the people just love you, kid, but you want to be in your life for the right reasons. And so when you start to have those conversations and they go well, it's like, oh my gosh, why have I been holding on to this? And so then I just started telling more and more people. And then, you know, we're on this podcast because of Jager Sports. Alan Jager and Jim Batcher, the two owners of Jager Sports, there, I did an article last year, Bloomberg um, Business Week, did a, a profile about mental health in the workplace. And they interviewed me and I got emotional because Alan and Jim are so just real people. And they just care. And we are obviously, I've been there for 22 years. We're all best friends. Jim's going to officiate my wedding. Alan's going to be there. It's like we're a family. But if they weren't so incredible and accepting, and Alan is so obviously progressive in the mental health space, and Jim keeps it light and funny, I don't know what I would have done. Because there are times at work where I've had a panic attack and I have to leave. And it's like... You can't do that in some jobs, and some people aren't understanding. And so that made it really easy for me to share as well, where they, you know, my two leaders, my two bosses are so like, hey, you okay? Do you need anything? Do you want us to pay for therapy? Do you blah, blah, blah. That helped tremendously. And then I don't really know, like, the one thing that kind of led me to that in November um, to do that on social media because I was terrified. Um in a good way and at the end of October um, of that year I wasn't going to do it I had told my best friend who's actually in the next room here in my house in Arizona John Spenlove um, that I was going to do this in November and I started having cold feet towards the end of October and he kind of gave me like the warrior like you got to do this man this is going to be huge for you I know it is just please do it and so he kind of gave me that nudge and I did it in November and the reaction was, you know, why we're here talking five years later about the foundation and everything like that. So I know that's a long-winded answer. I just, going through the specifics of the journey, I think, helps helps people at times. Just, it wasn't like this one day where I was like, I can share now. I had to progressively go through, you know, my parents, my best friends, and then once that reaction was good, that kind of exponential effect started to occur where um, I just started to be honest with people and my fiance now the first day I met her I told her I had panic attacks because that's where I was at in the journey um 
that now I just lead with it so people know so that if I have to walk away or anything, there isn't this awkward energy or fear about it. It's just, this is who I am. It's what I deal with. And we're all going through something. So nothing to be ashamed about. <laughs> the honesty is, is amazing. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, that we're all going through something is true whether people will admit it or not. You know, whether people want to listen to your story or anybody else's story. To, to me, if if people can't relate, even if they never have gone through anything as severe as you, but if they just can't relate or they can't just see, like you said, this is a very human thing to go through. I just I feel like they're just denying, you know, their own feelings, and they just like they've never maybe have come to grips with things that they've. Uh, struggled with because every I think everyone struggles with things to a degree. Obviously, people to a different everyone struggles to a different degree. But everyone is going. Everyone is currently going through something. And if you can't relate to other people, I just I have a hard time uh, believing that you're really just being honest with yourself. And and your level of honesty is just really amazing to me. Um, and so that's what you you just you just decided you were just going to come out and be honest and tell people exactly what you've been going through. And, and kind of whatever the reaction is, the reaction. Is that what you did? You just sort of opened up and said, hey, I've been dealing with this for six years. These things have happened. Um, I mean, did you tell people, like, I'd love to hear your story? Did you tell people, like, yeah, if you want to reach out to me and talk, you're welcome to? Or did you just kind of share and say, hey, here it is. You know, do what you, do what you will with it. Yeah, no. So when I first shared it, I had um, researched the different organizations that were out there. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America had a great website and so when i shared i just said you know if you're going through anything there are resources here's an example um and kind of through that research part of trying to find different resources for people i couldn't really find like that real world which now there's tons of them which is great but back then i couldn't really find one that like grabbed me it was very scientific community medical community approach and i was like man i just that's not as inviting or comfortable with just like a normal real world approach to mental health, which is the phrase I use now. And so that was what kind of got me going on the foundation path. But when I first shared, yeah, I said, you know, if you want to DM me, which I got a ton of DMS about people or from people that were struggling and they said, don't tell anybody because they're, you know, that stigma is real. Um, but I said they could contact me or I said they could check out the website. Um, when I first shared, why social media, China? Why did you go? Why did you go to social media to to sort of take the next step in in telling people and sort of telling your story? I think at that time, so the first step was like my inner circle, like I said. So I, I did that kind of all face to face or via text, and just like with buddies, there'd be stuff that I said no to that they were like, "Why are you saying no to going to this game or going to Vegas or this and that?" And I would use some lame excuse. And so when I kind of approached it with them, I'm like, look, this is what I've been dealing with. That's why these things occurred. So with them, it was easy. Um, and that was face-to-face. The social media thing, I think it's just the easiest way to reach the masses with a message, right? Like you can – people that follow you, if people share it, um, it was just the easiest way for me to – basically have a conversation with 500 people in one post instead of trying to individually address it. And then I have a very, um, 
don't know the word to use, biased view towards social media now, um, and always have. But I thought it would be unique on social media to share something like that instead of a photo that's filtered about your waffles. Like, <laughs> let's, like let's have some substance. And that's what I've always tried to do on social media is show the behind the curtain to real life of like, hey, I had to leave dinner with my fiance tonight because I had a panic attack. Like, that's real, right? Instead of, and it, this stuff's cool, like, but it's, I feel like we present an image on social media that we want people to see instead of presenting ourselves on social media um, and just being who we are, which based on conversations I've had with teenagers and the parents that call um, the foundation, social media is one of the scariest weapons going on in our country right now um, with it's, it's taking a very brutal toll on, on the teens and just trying to compete, you know, and present a certain image of themselves and stuff like that. So I just try to use it. I try to use social media just to do something a little different and try to make a positive impact on there with some, with some real world stories. And thank goodness that you do. My wife and I talk about social media a lot. So we've got three little kids at home and the oldest is seven. And, and it's like, uh, as parents of a seven year old, like, I don't want her to get to the, to be old enough to use social media because I just can imagine how cruel you, when you, t you talked a, a while back just about, you know, going to high school now and, and just how kids have always been cruel to each other, but now they just have different and, and much easier ways of being cruel to each other, much more convenient ways. You don't have to do it to somebody's face anymore with social media. You know, you can be really cruel to somebody without ever actually looking them in the face or, um, you know, doing it to doing it right in front of someone as opposed to doing it behind their back. But that's we talk about social media a lot in our house, and my wife will even talk just about her own experiences and about how friends of ours, um, uh, or just acquaintances, I should more more than friends. This you you present you only people only post on social media when things are going well most of the time, and they'll they'll you know post perfect pictures of them and their kids and their family and like you know make it just their posts will make it look like they have everything together in their life every aspect of their life they have it completely together and that's the image and whether people try to do that or not just most people just by instinct i think aren't going to post on the bad days and aren't going to post on a bad hair day and aren't going to post on a day when they feel down but they will post when things are going well or they'll post this you know a, a post-workout picture where you know they're swollen and they look they look terrific in this cutoff shirt or whatever it is and uh that's just the image that people present on social media and if you spend enough time on social media that can give you a bad self-image because like you said you're there's there's comparison there's uh you know you you know how imperfect your own life is but everyone else's life according to social media is perfect and it's just it's nice i i think uh and very refreshing and very real to have people who use social media to present who they really are um as opposed to presenting this uh, a perfect image of themselves so it's it's always refreshing to me and and when you take to me when you take that the the leap on social media like you did to just kind of come out and say, hey, this is the real me. This is who I really am. It's not pretty all the time, and uh, but it is real, and this is – I'm not going to hide who I am. Like, that's not an easy thing to do, and you just – I'm sure in your situation, when you start to get cold feet, you just – you have – part of that is probably you don't know what reaction you're going to get from people, and that can be pretty scary. Um, right. 
And I just think it's I think it's a great thing that you did. And I think that uh, I wish more people would use social media in that way personally. Um, a question that I get, and this is the last question I'm going to ask you, China, probably. I don't want to promise on that. But the, I, I get the question with figured out baseball sometimes when people realize that I don't I don't make money from this website. Um, you know, I, I don't uh, I, I pay other people, but I, I don't take any money from it and I'll, and I'll just people know that I spend a lot of time on it and, I, and I'll get questions from people sometimes just like what do you get out of this why do you want to do this why why would you do why would you spend so much time on something you don't make anything from and it's an easy answer for me but I'm gonna ask you that same question what do you get out of your foundation what do you get out of running athletes against anxiety and depression why do you do it I love that question um, to answer it in one word would be everything I mean it helps me tremendously to keep mental health mental health prevalent in my life and continue to study about it and try things out in my own life to see if they help. And then the biggest thing is saving lives. And I know that like to people listening and be like, well, okay, come on. But it's like I've gotten calls um, from parents after their teenager has committed suicide. And they want to be involved with the foundation to help so that it doesn't happen to anybody else. Um, and small acts, like very small acts, can literally save people's lives, can change people's lives. And sometimes that act is just knowing that something is there or that someone cares. And that's what I get out of it. When I get the calls from the kid in Pepper in North Carolina, when he got the approval letter that his foundation is you know, approved through the government and he's good to go. And he's got just such joy where when the first time I had talked to him, we were in a very different mental state with him. And, um, it's just the journey and just building that team. I don't get to compete anymore the way I'd like to. And so this is a different sort of competition where there's a fire inside me every single day to just try to do something. And when I write the 1000 emails and I get one response, it's like, that one response is worth 999 no's or 999 non-responses and it gets very grindy sometimes and depressing honestly where you're like people why aren't you responding or why aren't you doing this but then that one call comes through and it just makes it all worthwhile and you know it's the same way like you said with figuring out baseball for triple ad um not only <laughs> We get donations, and that's what pays for the therapy and stuff like that. But, like, there's no money. There's no staff. Nobody's making money. With all the donations, 100% of it goes back towards resources. And, like, year over year, 2016 to now, it's a net negative. Like, if you just look at the financials for myself personally, is I'm, I'm putting money into it because that's how passionate I am about it, and I don't care um, about that that part so yeah I mean I get so much out of it personally and then just the calls with different teams different people and the events we put on it just I just love hearing people talk about mental health without tension in their throat um, and it's just a normal it's becoming more and more normal to talk about and that's going to save tons of lives in the future um, so yeah I get I get everything out of it and sweet hats to cover up my bald head <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to uh, be 
purchasing one of those hats myself. I didn't realize they were for sale until today. And I don't know when this podcast will air exactly, but uh, that's something you do fairly often, right? Like if people want to, if people want to, first of all, if they want to donate, I, I assume that uh, that they can do th- do so through the website, but you also have, like you sell hats on a fairly regular basis. How else can, tell me some ways that people can uh, contribute if they want to, to triple AD, if they're listening to this and it's something that they feel passionate about, how can someone get a hold of you or, or do some good, you know, throw some money your way to be used uh, in a positive way to someone who's struggling? How do people do that? Yeah. So the website, aaadf.org. Uh, so triple aaadf.org. Um, like one of the tabs, it's a very simple, sleek design. And one of the tab tabs is literally donate and it's got the tax ID number all donations are tax exempt um or tax deductible and uh you can do that with credit card paypal all that good stuff and then on social media at china mccarney so just like the country c-h-i-n-a and then mccarney's m-c-c-a-r-n-e-y that's all my handles and i'm very good about like dms if you dm me with a question or like with the hats we don't have like an official store or anything it's just if you make a 50 dollar donation and dm me because um, I get all the alerts for the donations, then I'll send you a hat. And we have six styles right now that are pretty sweet. And so, yeah, it's very, very low key, very easy. And uh, like I said, I think people listening can tell by now I'm pretty honest and easy going. So if you contact me with some questions, um, I'll get back to you and, uh, and go from there. This has been awesome. This is China McCarney, everybody. He's the vice president and CFO of Jager Sports. Of course, that uh, we talked, you know, for the majority of this podcast about J bands and, and different things that Jager promotes. Um, you know, particularly long toss. He's also the founder of Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression. Uh, China, this has been thoroughly enjoyable for me. Um, I like having different kinds of guests on here. You and I have connected now several times, and I've, I've, I think I've enjoyed every conversation we've had more than the previous one. I just want to personally thank you for taking the time to be on here and talk about all this stuff. I know sometimes in these podcasts I ask questions that maybe push you to your limits a little bit or even beyond the limits of what you typically get asked or need to talk about or even some things maybe you're not 100% comfortable with. But, um, you know, the honesty that and everything you've shared has been very, very beneficial for everyone listening. So I just want to personally thank you for taking the time to be here. Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, I know as the host you do all the, the asking of the questions and everything, but for anybody listening out there, you know, Jeff and I have known – each other now for probably only a couple months we've spoken on the phone i think four times and emailed and everything and um just getting to know you and looking at what you do with figured out baseball and you know we're wired in a very similar way and like triple ad is my figured out baseball figured out baseball is your triple ad and it's just so refreshing you do things like for any of the listeners that probably already know because they're in your your base but you just do things for the right reasons you have such a unique passion for the game of baseball in the right way where it's not about what you're getting out of it it's what you're putting back into it and it's just evident in everything that you do the passion and the way you communicate and um it's just been an honor and an awesome privilege to get to know you and i know we're going to work together in the future and just wanted to make sure people know how just committed you are to the game i mean with Jager sports we come across <laughs> thousands of people obviously um and the baseball community is great in its own right, but you, you just have such a unique um, passion and motor, and it's just it's awesome to watch and 
what you do for the game and give back and with figuring out baseball is just incredible. So thank you for who you are and what you do. Well, thank you. That means a, a really great deal um, to have some unsolicited uh, things said about you like that. And, and uh, especially, as you know, with AAAD, Sometimes you do a lot of work for for very little recognition. So to have someone that uh, to say something like that just it means a lot to me personally. And um, I was not expecting that, but I really appreciate it, and uh, it means a lot. Uh, I'm looking forward to having you involved with figured out baseball in other ways, and hopefully uh, at some point there will be some China McCartney videos on the figured out website, so you all can get to know China better and uh, and, and to put a face with a name here and just see some other things that he can do and in, in ways that he can help you. And hopefully this is a, an ongoing relationship. So China, again, I, I thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to a continued relationship with you. Absolutely, thank you, Jeff.